is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Millions of people around the U.S., millions more around the world, fully vaccinated. Those who got their two shots or one of J&J probably feel a sense of relief to be finished, but more shots could be coming. Pfizer's CEO says more doses likely needed within a year to keep up with variants. Now, lots of people are suffering from pandemic burnout as if regular stress and anxiety are not enough. Basketball and hockey fans in L.A. get to watch their teams in person again. There are some pretty strict rules, though, that have upset some women and disabled people. Let's start with the vaccine booster shots. Dr. Jeffrey Klausner is an epidemiologist and clinical professor of preventative medicine at USC Keck School of Medicine. Doctor, a year is better than six months, right? Right. So as we know, for the two mRNA vaccines, for the uh, you know Pfizer and the Moderna, you need two shots for full protection, right? You have that first shot, and then three or four weeks later, you have the booster shot. So now what um, people are considering is that, you know, you may need a booster a year later. Um, I mean, that's actually a big, a, a big fat guess. I mean, we have no idea. The current uh, data, which was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine today, actually, uh, said that, you know, the um, Pfizer vaccine, you know, works extremely well. So the Israelis have had tremendous success in, you know, reducing infections, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. But, yes, the question is, how long will that last? Um, Typically, we, you know, look at not just antibodies, but the cellular part of the immune system and the T cells and the B cells and what are called natural killer cells. So, you know, I think we might be a little bit too pessimistic in thinking that we're going to need a booster in a year. And also, just to uh, clear up something that I think a lot of non-medical people wonder about is, you know, let's say it is a year. Uh, I can already I hear people who are kind of hoping maybe it's wishful thinking, I don't know, about going on a vacation finally in a year and looking on the calendar and saying, well, gee, I I just finished getting fully vaccinated. And if I don't get it and hurry up and get it by the time my plane takes off in 12 months, I'm going to be totally... (laughs) Because there's a cliff. Yeah, right. It's going to all of a sudden just shut down and I'm no longer going to be protected. It doesn't work that way, does it? Right. That's an excellent point. I mean, it's not an on and off switch. So, you know, it's about levels of uh, levels of protection. So, you know, many people may be, you know, protected with the two series for life. Some people will be protected for many years. Some people, you know, that immunity may drop off. The idea is to figure out, you know, who needs the additional boosters. Is that can be done with certain kinds of uh, blood tests or certain kind of monitoring? Is it going to depend on age? Is it going to depend on, you know, other conditions if you're, overweight, if you're a diabetic, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of science that needs to be done to come up with the uh, predictors of who needs a booster shot. And again, you know, the level of protection varies. Okay, it's still going to work really well to prevent people from dying. It's going to work well to prevent hospitalizations. 
But yes, over time, it may not work so well uh, to protect people against, you know, getting infected or getting some mild symptoms. There is the other headline of the day that says, you know, 5,800 fully vaccinated people ended up getting COVID. Some uh, were symptomatic, though I think like a third were asymptomatic. And I I read that and I thought, where's the only? I think you put an only 5,800 in front of that number when it's like 66 million people were in the pool when they when they found the 5,800. Exactly. And actually, uh, that was frustrating. A lot of my fellow epidemiologists and, you know, Twitterati, uh, as we say, is that, you know, the headline should be that the vaccine was highly, 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 highly protective, more than 99.999%. And, you know, this, um, you know, several thousand out of 77 million people vaccinated um, shows that it really does work, you know, very well. Yes, there will be, you know, rare breakthrough infections. Yes, among those infections, you know, there will be some some people with symptoms. But, you know, that's that's expected. No vaccine is 100 percent. So I think, you know, we need to be careful and adjust our expectations. Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, epidemiologist, clinical professor, preventative medicine, USC Keck School of Medicine. We've been living and working in a pandemic for more than a year, and a lot of people are feeling burnout creeping up on them. This has been rough on people. Many have suffered from things like anxiety and depression. So is this burnout different for people than before? Jacqueline Barker is a professor in the Department of Pharmacology and Physiology at Drexel University College of Medicine. And she talks to KYW's Charlotte Reese about what burnouts do into our brains. When we evolved, right, we evolved to respond to stressors acutely. Our ancestors were hunted by um, animals, right? And so you have this biological response to stress that in acute circumstances is good. It helps you do something you can fight or flight, right? This classic idea we think of. Um, But when this happens over and over, instead of our brains having this transient acute response that allows us to run away or fight back, we shift to this, what we call allostasis or other stasis. Um, And our brains develop this new set point where um, we adapt to this state of chronic stress in some ways. um, And this can change a lot of different components of our brain. And some of the structures uh, in the brain that we think of as being really heavily impacted are, are structures that are involved in things like cognitive control uh, or executive function and our ability to regulate our behavior, like the prefrontal cortex. And then other structures that are associated with things like learning and memory, uh, like the hippocampus, for example. And so we have this sort of continuous onslaught of this stress response that's causing these adaptations that are in theory helping us uh, to cope, but can, can kind of move our set points and change the way that our brain's functioning over time. I guess, I mean, I, I think almost everyone has dealt with burnout in their life, but this year has been especially different for, as I mentioned, different careers, pharmacists, grocery store workers, the list goes on and on. Is there a point that this burnout can kind of turn to trauma or PTSD? What's what's that kind of timeline now for maybe some people? Yeah, so when we think about um, things that can accumulate that cause burnout, um, in particular, you know, one of the things that really can drive the development of burnout is the loss of control, right? And so some of those professions you've described in, in, in this context, right, in the context of a pandemic where on a day-to-day basis, right? If you're a grocery worker who doesn't have a lot of PTO, you don't have um, the ability to call in sick or to protect yourself, you know, you you don't have a lot of agency in this setting. And that loss of control can make 
a lot of difference in, in creating an elevated risk for burnout. And so for uh, people that are in those positions, frontline workers, uh, people with um, high responsibility, but low agency jobs, potentially, you really are at elevated risk there. Uh, when we think about trauma, uh, we often think about these acute events, right? And so now what we have in a pandemic, especially uh, for people who maybe they have sick family members, maybe they've lost someone, maybe they're a healthcare worker who is, you know, done how many intubations in a week, uh, which is really different than normal, you now have this acute stress built on a background of accumulating and layering chronic stress. And so neither of these are good. Um, And so you have this sort of combinatorial effect. And what we're seeing is that both this elevated chronic stress and history of protracted chronic stress is driving risk for things like depression. Uh, And then you're um, an elevated risk for these acute stressors to drive um, other neuropsychiatric challenges as well, heightened anxiety, increased risk for things like PTSD in certain populations. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that the CDC has been looking at in relationship to this is not just um, increase in experiencing these symptoms, which is going up across uh, the country right now. People are reporting more depressive and more anxiety-related symptoms, but they're also not receiving access to care in the same way. And so this is another area where the pandemic has sort of added to this burden and added to this burnout because people don't have access to their primary care uh, providers in the same way. People who um, maybe aren't as uh, tech savvy aren't able to connect um, to some of these remote care, telehealth uh, settings that people have. Sort of the resources, the communities that we've built that can provide support are inaccessible as well. Uh, so I don't know that there's a specific tipping point, but but definitely sort of as a society, um, we're accumulating these risk factors and we're putting those burdens in disproportionately on different aspects of society as well, where certain people are facing heightened uh, consequences of this in sort of an intersectional way. We see this in women, right? Um, We see this with job loss, where Black and brown women have borne actually the majority of job loss in a long-term way. Uh, And so really, we're, we're creating disproportionate burden for aspects of society for these risk factors. And um, I like that you brought up about how the anxiety and depression levels have been going up. I've, I read that this week and I can't help but think, you know, so many people are, you know, either realizing they have anxiety issues or realizing that maybe they were more depressed than, you know, they had previously thought. Do you, do you think these feelings are going to stick around? Like how resilient do you think the brain's going to be now that things are slowly, you know, getting back to somewhat normal? Yeah, so I, I think there's hope, first of all, right? You know, the brain is more flexible than I think we'd like to give it credit for. Um, we are all, our brain's very plastic, right? And so at any given moment, our brain's responding to cues in the environment, right? My voice, right? Something's happening there. And so I, I do think that, you know, with return to engagement and return to, you know, perhaps hopefully a lower stress uh, environment, uh, that we'll see some hope sort of on a, a related level, I guess. One of the things I'm hopeful of is that we as sort of a society have recognized some of these challenges, right? We've recognized that Um, sick days save lives. Um, And maybe we can collectively create space for people to protect their own mental health um, and to create structures where people aren't asked as an individual to prevent their burnout. But we as a 
as a moral society, I guess, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, can work together uh, to, to create structures that protect people from this sort of burnout culture that has been, has certainly, it was here in 2019, right, um, but has uh, really been um, brought to an elevated awareness and uh, brought to the public consciousness. So not to look for the silver lining, but I, I do hope that we can, um, as a as a society, recognize this a little bit more as it's become more visible over the last year. Coming up after this short break, L.A. sports are being welcomed back to stadiums and arenas, but one popular place is upsetting women. Sports venues in L.A. are welcoming fans again. Of course, capacity is limited. Staples Center, where the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings play, allowing fans starting today after we finish the podcast. Lakers and Celtics fans are excited, but they'll have to follow some strict rules beyond mask wearing and distancing. The rules include no bags and bigger purses. Nothing really it's just what you can put in your pockets. And that has upset some women. Danielle Snyder, Senior Vice President for Guest Services and Security at Staples, So, Danielle, why not go with at least a clear bag, a Ziploc kind of thing? And I think that's, you know, an excellent question and something that over the last 13 months, we've had a chance to really digest all the information that's out there and what is going to be uh, the best thing to do for not only our guests, but our staff as well that will be performing those searches. So, a lot of that research turned to uh, the other arenas in the NBA and NHL, as well as the professional league protocols. So it's not just the state and county guidelines from public health, but also what the NBA and the NHL have recommended as too, as far as search procedures. And, you know, at Staples Center, we always have prided ourselves on safety being our number one priority. And this is no different. We want to make sure that our guests are safe, our team members are safe. And part of that is making sure that there's a contactless security screening process. So while it's not something that we are used to, and it's not something that our guests are used to, and I understand that it's an inconvenience to a lot of people that, and some are very concerned, and I want to try to alleviate some of those concerns by by telling people what we are doing to make sure that we're accommodating those special needs. But why not the, you didn't answer the question though, uh, why not the clear bag? Because I mean, the, the, the concern bag, is, so, if the concern yeah, is bunching up at ba- the gate, right, you can just yeah, look so in the even, bag and then see it. Yeah, so even the clear bags would have to go through an x-ray screening. So we have to do 100% contactless x-ray screening according to league protocols, like I said. So even a clear bag, a clutch, any type of bag has to go through an x-ray machine. As you can imagine, we're not, you know, equipped with as many x-ray machines as, as say, an airport is. Um, but we do have a few. And we are going to have a few available to screen medical or parental bags for any of those needs uh, for people to bring in special items uh, to the venue. Okay. So what else are you doing to help people out? Because, I mean, you're a communications person for Staples. You've, you've seen the tweets. <laughs> and here's a long list of yeah. things, right? It's saying none of this is going to fit in my pockets. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel, I feel for our guests because I too am a fan and going to uh, arenas or, or stadiums and, and experiencing something that's not what I'm used to is, is a change that, you know, I think not all of us are, are, are ready to quite adopt at this moment, but be, you know, we hope that this is something that is temporary. We hope that this is something that we, we have to do in this transition period. We are still in a pandemic. So again, with everyone's health and safety in mind, this is why we're going with the no bag policy. Yeah, you know, the, you do, 
Yeah. I'm sorry, but, but you, were, you were talking about hoping that it, it's temporary. And, and I was going to say that, uh, you know, this whole notion of being touchless, this all comes from the very beginning of the pandemic when nobody really understood, you know, how the virus was transmitted. And only in the past week or so, the CDC has finally come out and said, in effect, don't worry about touching stuff. There, yeah. there isn't a single recorded case in the world of anyone getting coronavirus from, from the touching, doorknob. From, yeah. yeah, from touching anything. And- and that's an excellent point. And it's the close contact that would occur between a patron, a guest coming to our venue and our security officers screening a bag. That is that is what we're trying to prevent here as well. And that we know from the CDC, as well as the state, as well as the local county public health departments that we want to avoid is anyone making sure that we're distancing by at least six feet. So these are the things that we've taken to an account, as well as worked with our partners at the Lakers, Clippers and Kings and looked at other NBA and other NHL arenas as to what they're doing as well and basically followed suit to keep everyone safe. Outside area for what? Eating, if I need to take medication, something like that. Yeah, so we also have, we're also making available rental lockers so people can use those rental lockers if they do come with a bag. We have a flexible re-entry policy. All you need to do is exit scan your ticket with any guest services uh, team member, and they'll be able to validate your ticket on re-entry. So that's available to our guests as well. Like I mentioned, the medical and parental bags being able to screen via x-ray. We just want to make sure that the majority of our guests only bring the necessary items that can fit in their pockets so that they can come into the venue in a safe, contactless manner and also get in pretty quickly, which I think is, you know, a benefit to this whole process if there is one. Am I correct in my presumption that the rental lockers for bags, it's for a fee, right? Yes. Right. Yes. There is a, a $10 fee right now for rental lockers for, for bags. That's yes. kind of so steep. $10 is a lot of money. Could you waive I, that fee? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I could see uh, I could see women, frankly, Danielle, thinking, gee, this is really, you know, a guy can walk in and, you know, put their phone in their pocket and all that. I, I've got a bag. I got to pay 10 bucks in order to, to, to come in. There was someone because, who did tweet. Yeah, when, there was someone who tweeted. It, she, she said, this is how I'm going to roll up to Staples. And it was a picture of a fishing vest, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it had all the pockets <laughs> And you, and you know what? That is an option. That is, that is definitely an option. I know it was said in a humorous way, but, you know, I hear I hear where our guests are coming from. Um, and we do, like I said, hope that this is a temporary solution. You are allowed to bring anything that can fit in your pockets. You just need to empty them and place them in the bins prior to going through the metal detector, just like you would at the airport. Um, so we want to make sure that our, our guests know that, that you know, this is a, an a, amenity that's available to them. But at the same time, we're hoping that we get the word out and we thank you guys for for doing this as well and for letting us clarify a lot of these items so that we get the word out that people are preparing in advance and they're doing what they can to to really only bring the necessary items that they need with them do you have to be a california resident to come in and and if so suppose you don't have any id that you're you're from you know let's say you're visiting from another place Right. So the teams are the ones that put the tickets on sale. And so I believe there was an attestation that you are have to be a California resident when you do purchase the ticket. But no, we are not checking IDs when you when you arrive here with your your digital ticket. All right. Danielle Snyder, Senior Vice President, Guest Services Security at Staples. Danielle, thanks. Air pollution could be linked to covid deaths. A study from UCLA finds that neighborhoods in L.A. County with Poor air quality have the highest coronavirus death rates. 
there was a 60% increase in COVID-19 fatalities compared with communities with the best air quality. The researchers focused on nitrogen dioxide because the pollutant serves as a marker for traffic-related air pollution. Now, one scientist says nitrogen dioxide has been found to damage some cells, increasing the risk of lung infections. You can find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 